Hey, thanks for the download for the stream, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, NotSam.com, any of the various podcast services. But I want to tell you about the best way to support this here podcast, and that is through Stitcher Premium at Stitcher.com slash NotSam. Here's the deal with Stitcher Premium. It's really inexpensive. It's like 5 bucks a month or $35 a year. You sign up over at Stitcher.com slash NotSam, and they'll give you a free week just to try it out. Here's what you'll get. This podcast, as it is, it stays the same. It's free if you don't want to pay for it, no problem, but... I'll give it to you with no ads. You don't have to hear this at the beginning of it. All the ads get cut out every single week. Same time it gets released normally, it goes up on Stitcher Premium ad-free. On top of that, every other Monday, that's twice a month more or less, every two weeks, you're going to get a brand new show, and it's called Captive Audience, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast captive audience and it's where I take somebody who's close to me but may not be the biggest wrestling fan in the world whether it be my wife whether it be my dad whether it be a buddy and I sit them down and together we turn on the WWE Network and we watch one of the most ridiculous pay-per-views that they have available for instance it was uncensored 95 that was the last show that we did I had to sit down with my wife watch Uncensored 95, and in real time, explain the event as we go. And you can turn on the WWE Network, and you can watch along with this amazing audio podcast, but the only place that you're going to be able to hear it is over at Stitcher Premium. So go sign up not uh, at stitcher.com slash not Sam. That's stitcher.com slash not Sam. Stitcher Premium, the best place to listen to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. But wherever you're listening to it, it starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's going to be a special episode this week. Atypical episode. Not atypical. It's an episode that is atypical. It's a very special interview segment this week. So look, last week's podcast was very newsworthy for a couple of reasons. Of course, the interview with Jinder Mahal had a lot of people talking. A, a lot came out of Jinder Mahal in last week's episode. It was, uh, for a lot of people, they really enjoyed the fact that they could hear the guy as a human being kind of out of character um, and hear about his motivation and how he got to where he's gotten to. And I think a lot of people developed a whole new respect for gender and the ability to not hinder him by listening to last week's interview. And I'm glad that that came across because I really, really enjoyed the conversation. But after that, before the state of wrestling, in the bridge segment, I kind of went on a little bit of a, a, a monologue about why I don't think that wrestling journalism is a, is a thing. Why I respect people like, uh, whether it's, it's Dave Meltzer or my friends that have done the podcast, like Wade Keller or the people that I talk to fairly regularly, like Ryan Satin or Mike Johnson. You know, there's a lot of wrestling journalists, quote unquote, that... I'm friends with and and a lot of them that I enjoy their products. I go to wrestling websites every day. I'm a subscriber to The Observer. I subscribe over to PW Torch and I've encouraged you guys to sign up to Wade Keller's PW Torch website and I still encourage you guys to do that. My issue is with the terminology wrestling journalism. And I explained that in uh, in in my conversation with you last week. And I also last week talked about how 
I would be willing to have that conversation. That it wasn't me taking a hard-nosed stance on it, but it was my opinion on it, and I knew that people were going to have different opinions on it, and if anybody wanted to talk to me about it, they could feel free either on the air or off the air. And I'll tell you, um, I, myself, I reached out to Wade Keller just because I felt it was necessary because... I, I would consider him a, a friend, a, pro- a professional friend, in the sense that he's been on the podcast as many times as he has, and we obviously have a good relationship. I didn't want him to think that this conversation was going on and, and he had nothing to do with it, because obviously he does. But I talked to him a little bit, and he didn't really take any issue, you know, and, he, and obviously he's going to be back on the podcast soon, whether it's to talk about this issue or probably just to talk about wrestling. But I talked to Wade Keller. Uh, I talked to the people I mentioned. I talked to Wade Keller, talked to Mike Johnson from PW Insider, who I've known for a long time and had no problem with any of this. I talked to Ryan Satin, who runs Pro Wrestling Sheet, who I like. And, you know, I think that his approach is a little bit different and worth having a conversation about in the sense that he doesn't publish all that many stories. And I think tries to take an approach that's a little more journalistic, although... There are plenty of stories that have been posted on Pro Wrestling Sheet that I would question newsworthiness and actual journalism about. But, you know, I I, I don't want to isolate that because obviously I go to that website and I think that it's a, a very legitimate thing that happens over there and a good way to make a living. Um, but only 24 hours after the show came out, an article on Deadspin popped up that said that WWE announcers don't think wrestling journalism is a real thing. And it was written by a guy named David Bixenspan, who uh, writes most of the wrestling articles that pop up over on Deadspin and has written for a bunch of different publications. And uh, David actually reached out to me, which I really respect. He found me on Facebook because, ladies, I apologize. I'm a married man. My DMs don't just stay open. But he did find me on Facebook. He sent me a message and he said, hey, man. I listen to the podcast. I'm in the process right now. This is right after I posted it. I'm in the process right now, he said, of writing an article about this topic, and I would like to have the conversation with you. I would like to have the debate with you. So I said, fine, Bixen Span, no problem. Um, come on the podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's have the great wrestling journalism debate. You know, I, he's got credentials. He's not, I, I, I almost felt like as much as the guys who I have relationships with are absolutely some of the most credible people in the field. It's almost unfair to take a guy that I already have a relationship with and try to have the conversation because, you know, we're buddies already. So I thought that this would be a healthier approach. Um, Obviously, I would love to talk to a Dave Meltzer, but I don't know Dave Meltzer, and at some point I'm sure we'll cross paths. But um, David was the one who reached out to me. He he is a credible guy. He's written for a lot of different publications. Um, And... He's been on my Twitter timeline before. David is one of these guys who not only, you know, writes his articles, but has quite an opinion on Twitter. And definitely people feeling one way or the other. If you look at the comments even on his article, some people in full support of what Bix and Span writes, other people uh, not. Some people think that he's right on and that people like me are shills and co-opted media. Other people think that David Bix and Span is whining about the fact that he doesn't get the uh, access that he feels like he should and other people do and and whatever. So I said, this sounds like the perfect guy, especially since he's the one writing an article, specifically citing what I was talking about last week. He is, is the perfect guy to have this conversation with about whether or not wrestling journalism is a real thing. And, you know, while we're at it, 
it wouldn't hurt to uh, maybe talk to him about why, as a journalist, he's also trolling me on Twitter. He's one of these guys who, when somebody like me or Peter Rosenberg pop up on WWE TV, he has some kind of shitty, smarmy, smart-ass thing to say on Twitter about either one of us. Uh, and there's a lot of people like that. So I, I think that that is also a conversation worth having. And we we had all those conversations and more. Uh, and that is what I dedicate this week's interview segment to. Uh, we will be back, of course, with the standard format next week, uh, talking about, you know, the, the with, with a with an interview guest and a and state of wrestling and everything. And we'll do state of wrestling as well this week. Uh, but instead of uh, an interview this week, we do the great pro wrestling journalism debate here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And now the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. So here we are. I said last week on the podcast during the conversation that I was having uh, about with myself about um, wrestling journalism, that it was a discussion totally worth having. Like I, you know, I specifically didn't take a hard nosed. I took a hard nosed stance in the, in the sense of this is what my opinion was, but Hey, you know, let's, let's discuss. And I did hear from a, a few people. Uh, I talked to Wade Keller, uh, who I actually heard from the people who I specifically mentioned who it's not a surprise cause I'm friends with them already, but I heard from Wade Keller who does a podcast all the time. Heard from Mike Johnson, who uh, I've known for forever, uh, and uh, 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 I heard from the folks at uh, Ryan Satin at Pro Wrestling Sheet. All kind of reached out, and I talked to them, and I, I don't know. I didn't want to uh, – I, I would have any of them on for any various number of reasons, but I figured that an article went up on Friday, and I believe, if I have it here, the title of the article – because now that there is an official journalist in my presence, I need to get my facts <laughs> straight. The title of the article was WWE Announcers Don't Think Pro Wrestling Journalism Exists. It was on Deadspin, which is a pretty big website for uh, some dumb stuff that I came up with in my basement to pop up on. But <laughs> the author of that article, David Bixenspan, you reached out to me and you were like, hey, man, you know, not in a hostile way or anything. You were just like, hey, man, like you said you want to have this conversation. I'll have this conversation. And I was like, let's do it. So... David Bixenspan, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Also, I mean, I figured I'm local, so might as well come into the studio. Right, right. And I'd rather have the conversation uh, in person, as all conversations, really. So, uh, first of all, where? W- tell me about you. Like, where? Where did you start? I guess in re- you didn't. Did you report anything before you reported wrestling? And again, this isn't. These aren't like leading. Like, oh, this is all you've ever reported. No, I'm know. just asking. <laughs> No, even even if uh, some of the discussions have been going with some people have been going that way online. Um, if you saw the well, we're recording this Monday. If you saw the Eric Bischoff, Dave Meltzer Twitter war. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I mean, I think that theoretically you can cover a beat all your life and be a journalist. So I, that argument doesn't hold weight. But before we get into arguments and stuff, right. tell me where where you started. OK, I started with I guess technically it was with uh, Slam Wrestling, Greg Oliver's site for the uh, some newspapers in Canada. And then around the same time is when I started running cage side seats for SB Nation. And from there, I went to Bleacher Report, did some various freelancing and stuff for a while. I've been doing various non-wrestling things. Uh, got a lot of attention in just the bigger media circles for my coverage of the Hogan Gawker case. And then after all the Gawker stuff got sold, ended up covering wrestling at Deadspin. So you ended up at Deadspin 
after your kind of expose on all the Hogan Gawker stuff. I don't know if I call it an expose, but I, the coverage of it helped get me on people's radar. It's ironic, though, that yeah. I mean, Deadspin was owned by Gawker. Yes. 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 Yeah. So so it's pretty ironic that that's what brought you there, because I was I was I was wondering about that when I saw it, because I don't really know what the status of Gawker is. It was purchased. Well, OK, so here's what happened. Um so the the company Gawker Media Group goes bankrupt because of the whole thing where they had to pay a uh, a bond to be able to appeal the ruling the excuse me the award in the Hogan case, and it was it's either the amount or fifty mil capped at fifty million they didn't have that so they filed bankruptcy, all of the assets other than Gawker.com got sold to Univision. I see, I see. Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. I don't really understand any of it, but. I'll take your word for it. Um, so and so you weren't around. See, Deadspin, I have a little bit of history with Deadspin because this was many years ago before you were there. Mm-hmm. While Gawker Media was still in charge and everything, they uh, reported on my website, LonelyVirgil.net, which I started. Yes. Right. And then they did one article on it. And then they just co-opted, which is a word that you like. They co-opted <laughs> my entire <laughs> my entire concept and just did Virgil bag and did all this Virgil stuff and never, ever gave LonelyVirgil.net credit ever again for anything. I sent in a story to the Virgil bag. You did? Yes. What was the story? Okay. Um, USA Pro Wrestling Show 2003. Do you remember USA Pro Wrestling? I mean, I know it as a name of something. Frank Goodman's promotion, Masked Maniac, the guy with the, I, mu- with the mullet yeah. that walks around without his mask during the show, even though he's obviously <laughs> that, that guy. Okay. Right. Um, Virgil has a table. Mm-hmm. I walk over to the Virgil table. Now, do you remember the WWF magazine cover where it's DiBiase and Virgil, and it's this really bright, great cover with DiBiase in the silver and purple suit and mm-hmm. flashing them up? Yes, I do. So from afar, it looks like he has a glossy reproduction of that. I'm thinking, okay, if he's charging a reasonable price for that, and it's like, it, yeah, get that autograph. That's something I might actually want to have. I walk over. As I walk over, I see that it's not, he didn't use a color copy or scanner or, everything, or anything like that. He used a camera and there is lens flare <laughs> in the print. Oh, uh, that's the greatest. Yes. That's so the I, greatest. That's Verge. Right, exactly. So I start to get hesitant and... Oh, no. Well, you've already approached the table. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know how it goes from there. Everyone knows how it goes You there. got sucked into the vortex. You like the old school, right? Hey, old school, old school. <laughs> old school, old school. You like... Which one you like? Which one you like? What's your name? Right. So... Uh, David. Uh, and then it's too late. Later, I walk past the table um, because a wrestler I was friendly with at the time was chatting with Virgil. Um, a wrestler who I will not name other than to say he's no longer in the wrestling business and hates wrestling, and that might help you figure it out. Because of the conversation with Virgil. I hope not. (laughs) Um, So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Virgil starts shooting rubber bands at me because I had not bought the photo from him. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible mistake. (laughs) That's what I've never heard before. I've never heard of him getting anywhere near physically aggressive. Right, right. For that. Um, but he's pissed and he's shooting rubber bands at you. And then the uh, future WWE champion just has this incredulous look on his face the whole time. So he was a, he was a WWE champion, I'm future sure. Future WWE champion. But he ended up being a WWE champion and now hates the business. Yes. I'm sure I'll figure it out at some point. Um, it can't be that difficult. There's probably two WWE champions that... Ah, whatever. I'll figure it out later. Um, so, you are... Growing up, you're just a, a giant fan of the 
mm-hmm. sports, entertainment, of wrestling, of whatever, and you end up going like, I like writing. I like writing about this stuff. I think I can do this for a living. Something like that. I mean, I kind of got approached when Cage Head Seats was first starting, and it kind of got handed over to me when... I don't think it's a secret at this point that at least when SB Nation is starting out, one of those like uh, community sites, there's not a lot of money there. Right. But at the time, I, like, I was just getting over some health problems, and so I was just like, okay, let me try this. Yeah. And it, like, kind of as it was booming, like starting to really get bigger, kind of really when the online like mainstream wrestling interest boom started kind of around when um, the CM Punk pipe bomb stuff was happening, mm-hmm. which was also a few months after... Randy Savage's death, which I also always felt kind of like played a role in that, too. Um, That's when I got the Bleacher Report offer, and that kind of led to making more money and it becoming a steadier and better thing. So this whole thing started when Booker T was – well, it didn't start with this show. It started with Booker T's show, really. The conversation started with Booker T and Corey Graves, and I – in my conversation with Booker T, I think just put – added fuel to the fire of what was going on because what happened between – Corey Graves and Booker T ended up, while it was, I mean, a work, but as I've said so many times, it's not a work, it's just two guys goofing around. Right. But the fact that, it's one thing when so many people believed it, because I don't discredit people for believing something, if they're being lied to, like, it's not your fault for believing the lie, the person was lying to you, right? Like, you, I, I'm not, unless it's like this crazy outlandish, but if just like a guy on Twitter was like, oh, Booker T and Corey Graves are fighting, there's nothing wrong with believing that, but... There were, and and as I, I think I said on the podcast, multiple wrestling websites that would be labeled under the category of wrestling journalism and multiple wrestling journalists. I don't know specifically if Dave Meltzer, Dave Meltzer specifically said, I did not say there was heat he between. And, and I will 100% believe it. As he I might said. have actually outright said it's a work. I don't remember exactly, but he absolutely did not say that it was. Totally fair. Issue. Totally fair. And, and Dave Meltzer, I think has found himself in a place where he is so successful at what he does that he represents wrestling media as a whole. So when something gets read over here or when it becomes the the narrative, meaning the majority of wrestling websites, many wrestling websites even, are reporting, this is what's going on, this is what's going on, this is what's going on. A lot of people from inside the business, a lot, or people like me who are not terribly observant with who's saying what in terms of, uh, you know, wrestling websites, just knowing like, okay, this is the rumor that's out there. A lot of people are saying that the heat's real. So you end up saying things like, well, Meltzer and the Dirt Sheet writers are saying that there's real heat because many of the Dirt Sheet writers are. Now, is that fair to Meltzer? No. But that's where that comes from. And I think on some level, Meltzer is aware of that. And that's why he wasn't like, I don't think egregiously mad that I had just kind of offhandedly said this thing. Yeah, Well, because there's always been kind of the Meltzer said it thing. In right. Wrestling news, whether it's people making stuff up or mishearing things or whatever. Um, I mean, in this case, though, I mean, I think there are a few things that kind of need to be stressed, though. I mean, the first is is that just as an initial story, I mean, Booker said it on his non-wrestling local radio show in Houston, which I think is an important distinction. Like, even if someone wanted to run with that initially, I think that's fair to not think that's a worked feud just in the first place. Now, having said that, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of coverage as like, oh, my God, this is real. Other than like kind of some people thinking, okay, maybe once Corey Graves kind of. I mean, I've literally, and maybe again, this doesn't represent 
you know, the, the upper echelon of wrestling reporters. It's but, more uh, the wrestling news with a Z. Right. But I've literally seen a lot of people. Oh, I'm sure you did. Even now saying, them saying it's a work is a work because WWE is coming down on them and saying, this can't be happening. You need to tell everybody it's a work. Like the conspiracy theory becomes a conspiracy theory right. becomes a conspiracy theory. And this is this is prevalent through the world. Now, look, I and so I, I went on. And I and and yeah, Booker T's Booker T's radio show is not exactly a non wrestling radio show in the sense that he has wrestlers on all the time. He talks about wrestling all the time. It's not a wrestling show, but it's not a non wrestling show either. It's just a it's a radio sure, show, right? Is sure. that fair? I mean, the one thing I do want to say though before we get kind of to what you said is that, and I think the thing that rankled me and a lot of people the most is, I think it was Corey Graves saying when he was on Booker's podcast, oh, no one reached out to me for comment. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I mean, I didn't cover the story at all. I don't think I even breathed a word about it until my stupid Twitter exchange with Corey Graves last week. Um, you can't re- – I mean, if you reach out to WWE for comment or to con- – they're not going to connect you with a wrestler directly. No, you'll get the PR department. Right. They might. If it's for something like this, they probably won't answer anyway or they'll no comment you. And if you want to try to find a way to contact them directly, Corey Graves has no like direct contact that's publicly available – Booker has PR people, but you know, I'll give the example. My friend Sean Rossap, who runs Fightful, mm-hmm. he reached out to Booker through the contact he had from some PR stuff from a year and a half ago, got no comment, and he couldn't get to Graves. But again, he didn't cover it as if, oh, this is real, but he he made the effort. But it's also, it's disingenuous for Corey Graves to say, oh, no one reached out to me for comment, when unless they are friendly enough with someone to get like to act as an intermediary or give his phone number or whatever that's not going to happen anyway but don't you think he was more referring to the people who went out and said no i'm hearing this is legit like i don't think he's necessarily referring if you didn't say anything about well it. he said nobody reached out to him for comment though as as a blanket thing right but i think that the implication is nobody who said that this was real, reached out to me for a comment, because why would people who didn't report on it reach out to him for a comment? Although regardless with Graves, though, you can't really reach out to him for a comment because it's not, you know, Booker has PR people. Booker's, you can get to, try to get to. You have to find out where Graves' house was. Exactly. And wait for him on a Wednesday or something. Right. This is not, you know, it's, you know, with so-called, you know, mainstream traditional celebrities, you're going to find a PR person. You'll find a way to get comment from someone fairly easily, whereas with WWE, unless it's like something nuclear like the, uh, Roman Reigns, you know, steroid dealer allegation thing from a few weeks ago, WWE is not going to give you a statement attributed to a specific wrestler. They'll give you the, uh, here's what we are saying as a company, and that's what you've got. If they give you anything. Right, right. So, okay. So, I basically said, look, to me, and, you know, I kind of made clear that, like, I read the stuff you guys do at Deadspin. I've been a subscriber to The Observer forever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I I am a fan of the culture. I'm not one of these guys who like shits on internet wrestling fans because this is a podcast. Like if if, if I didn't if I didn't like the internet wrestling fans, no, who's there to listen? It this is a podcast that's on the internet for, right. about wrestling, right? right. So right. so well, and also I mean, it's like for this is not me crapping on Peter Rosenberg, but like for people who are like painting you two with the same brush, he is a dyed in the wool WWE only fan who doesn't really pay attention to anything else. But at all. admittedly, but you're not. You I'm are not a huge indie fan. You 
I mean, you're more you're critical of WWE on this show. You just were last week, you know, talking yeah. about how SmackDown's been boring. Like, not overly, cri- but, but at but, times, like, right? But you, my point is, is like, but also Rosenberg, to his credit, is never like he doesn't proclaim himself to be an expert. No, but I mean, on my anything point outside is, though, of WWE, is I've seen you guys painted with the same brush a lot, and you are absolutely not the same guy in terms of wrestling interests. Right? Matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think he would tell you that, and I would tell you that, and for sure. But I said. That as much as I'm a fan of all this stuff and like like I'm I'm in that world and have been since since I got a since I got the internet it was going to wrestling websites and and when I was when I was I don't know probably 12 or 13 years old I had a wrestling action figure newsletter and when I was 15 I was a tape trader and like you know I'm there but okay wait I gotta interrupt you for a second mm-hmm. wrestling action figure newsletter email newsletter yeah what was the name of it the curtain call. I think I subscribed to that. <laughs> yeah, it came you out every remember, week. remember, uh, what's his face? John as 4158. Yeah, I do. <laughs> was that you? No, but oh. that was that was oh. the other guy with a wrestling figure. I do. I, I, it's so weird that you just said that because I, I absolutely do. His was like, he actually had scoops. Like, I would just report on what other people reported on. Right. Um, but, okay, so, <laughs> so, like I said, so, you know, like I said, this isn't, an intention to uh, degrade the world, but in ter- for me, when you look up journalism on the internet, it simply says a journalist is somebody who writes for a newspaper, which is like way too general of a statement for me. Like, like I, I looked it up as if to say, like, okay, what's my argument here? And that's what it said. And I go, like, that's, I mean, that's not really to me what a journalist is because I don't think that like gossip columnists should be painted with the same brush as news journalists, as people who who are, the press is uh, important in this country because they're entrusted with getting us information, right, that we, right, that we wouldn't otherwise have access to. That should there be a scenario where there is important information that is being hidden from us, it's the press's job to be a free press to get that information to us. And to me, that's what journalism is. And I don't think, like... Yeah, you, I said people go to school for it, but that's only to say that there's a credibility to being a journalist. I don't think you have to go to journalism school to be a journalist. Right. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I went to a school with a broadcasting school, but I didn't get a degree in broadcasting. I'm a broadcaster. Like, you, once you do it, you do it. But I do think that wrestling journalism is not, like, a thing because so much of it is based on either assumption Opinion reporting. I do think the people who classify, I, I think you can be an expert in this stuff without being in the business. You know, I don't share that opinion. I think that like Eric Bischoff was saying that you're not, I, if you watch this stuff for years and years and years and years and you, and you cling yourself to it, you're never going to have the same awareness as somebody who's actually in the business. It's a totally different thing. Sure. But like I would consider myself an expert and I'm, you know, and this has nothing to do with being on pre-shows. Like I was, that's why, you know, you know what I mean? Like the pre-shows don't make me an expert. I was an expert before that. Um, But there's like, there's a few things like your, your story on Hulk Hogan and Gawker. Like I'm, I would imagine while I haven't read it, that I would probably classify that as journalism. Well, it's a lot of stories, but sure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. By coverage, yes. Your coverage. I wouldn't say that that's not, I would have to read it, but I could imagine that that would be journalism. Mm. But that's not necessarily wrestling journalism. That's a mainstream story, right? Well, let me, okay, let me ask you something here, because I think, I think I mentioned something in my story on Deadspin last week, and I think this is kind kind of where it gets muddied, and you're not the only one who I see kind of says something like this. Is one of the distinctions you're making that, 
like you don't see reporting on where storylines may be going as journalism. Is that kind of where your oh, attention is going well, out of? That's a hundred percent. Like there's okay. there's absolutely when you start reporting on storylines, when you start reporting on what Vince thinks, when who's getting pushed, like all this stuff, and it is and it is majorly prevalent. Even when there's an article about something that's not storyline related. So many times I'll read something where they go, because, you know, Vince's favorite is Roman Reigns. And I'm going like, what? Like, you could assume that from watching TV, but that's not a journalistic thing to do. That's not a journalist can't sit there and be like, well, Roman Reigns is in the main event. That must be Vince's favorite. Because who knows? Maybe Vince committed to this a while ago, but he doesn't even like Roman Reigns anymore. He likes Braun Strowman. (laughs) Like, we don't know. Like, and Vince McMahon is as crazy, apparently, I think, probably from the stories a guy as you could be like we don't we don't know what's going on in his mind we don't know who his favorite is we don't know why he does the things he does and we don't even know if he's the one doing them we don't nobody knows who's in charge of smackdown we can assume we can we can hear we can say well road dog's doing this and triple h is doing that but like based on what i mean in that specific case road dog does kind of put himself out there though as the guy who runs smackdown on Twitter and stuff. So I, I don't know if that's a great example. But I would say, I mean, in general, talking about it that way, though, I just feel like is being overly narrow about it. Because, I mean, there are, st- I mean, to the point that, like, for example, I was talking with Meltzer on Twitter a few weeks back, like, when kind of the whole plans change thing kept coming up, I was like, because I don't, I don't really like to report on storyline plans. I mean, I, I, I was going to say, I don't think necessarily think it's that interesting, but that's not really what I mean. But I, but the point is, I said today, like, at this point, like, if – and I buy the plan change thing. Like, you read enough of, like, the wrestler books, the Daniel Bryan book. You see that stuff like this does happen. But, like, does it get to a point where you don't really want to report on storyline plans anymore? And he said kind of – like, I, that he doesn't really like to as much as he used to. And, you know, he tries to kind of tone it down. But I, I feel like if you're looking at wrestling reporting and wrestling journalism as just that, you're looking at too small a chunk – I mean, in these days, I would say a very small chunk of what people do. Um, you know, I think, you know, some of it is current stuff. Some of it's old stories. Like, you know, I wrote the thing a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the Bill Watts ousting from WCW in 1993 and the anniversary. Of that Like, that was wrestling journalism. You know what I mean? It's like, I think to look at it as just storylines and where they're going and that type of stuff is a na- is just too limiting compared to what's actually being done. Well, I think that wrestling historians are real. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can be a wrestling historian and I would I would categorize, a you know, that story that you just described as a story that a wrestling... To me, that feels... Well, I mean, at the time, at least. Just the, in the, as giving it as an example. I mean, the reporting being done at the time, just in terms of just because it popped into my head because I just, you know, wrote about it. The anniversary of it but like at the time there is wrestling journalism being done i mean even oh the- i see okay and when was the article when did it come out the article that i wrote was like no but i mean the, the one that we're referring to because it's the anniversary i'm just giving an example because it popped into my head and maybe and by the way maybe that is the case like maybe i'm not saying there never was anything journalistic about anything like maybe there was a time where you could be a wrestling journalist and i know that there was a time when wwe was open to journalists, but WWE is doing what most companies do now in the sense that they're keeping the information to themselves because why wouldn't they? I mean, Disney doesn't go around. Disney lets you know what they want you to know. When Nike plans a product release, they pick YouTubers 
who say like, oh, look how cool these shoes are. And they're like, hey, YouTubers, why don't we show you the new shoes? You know what I mean? And and Nike and Disney are not, I mean, Disney's probably a little bit more so, but like WWE is not more newsworthy than either of those consumer companies. But it has its own space that's developed over a long time that there is a demand for it and an audience for it that is its own unique thing. Like, I kind of get what you're saying in, like, if someone was an entertainment reporter just and they were ge- a general entertainment reporter, they would not be constantly covering WWE. Correct. Th- theoretically, I mean, in my opinion, an entertainment reporter should cover WWE. Yes, I agree. Right. Um. But what's a good reason? Because I don't want I, d- I don't want to mention anything too controversial and get you in trouble. I mean, you can you can mention whatever you want. <laughs> no, okay, then I'll just bring it like the okay, like the Vince McMahon sexual assault allegation stuff. Like, how is that not wrestling journalism and pulling the police report and talking to the witness? No, that's that's journal. I, I would absolutely say that that's journalism. But for I don't because that's not a wrestling story. That's, okay, okay, I think that's I, a that's a story that involves somebody who works in wrestling. Again, that's like a, that's like saying, uh, uh, like, I don't think if the, if the, if the, whoever's in charge of the NBA gets busted for something like that. Like that's no longer like the, the, the Penn state case. That was not a college football story. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Like in the, in the HBO Paterno movie, that's not a college football movie. That's a movie about a guy who was involved in this huge scandal that, that goes way beyond football. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Are you saying that you don't necessarily think wrestling journalism exists as a thing, but you think that there are journalists that cover pro wrestling on a beat journalistically, but you don't think it's necessarily its own specialty because the things that would be completely specific to wrestling aren't necessarily something that's covered journalistically? I don't. Yeah, I don't think that there's enough news available that would be considered actual news. I don't think there's enough news stories to tell so that somebody could say, I am strictly a wrestling journalist. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that I covered the Montreal Screwjob and I covered this Vince McMahon scandal and I get like three stories a year. I covered Jerry Lawler in 93. You know what I mean? Like those those are all, those are all, all big stories. But wrestling journalists are, are tend to be more people that, that try to, are, are, Highly critical of WWE, and a lot of that is because probably because they don't have access to WWE. They get upset about that. Yeah, well, I mean, don't you think that part of the reason that you are critical of WWE is because you want access? Like, I read the article that I read about you being pissed that WWE announcers are saying wrestling journalism isn't real. Which really, I'm the only one that said wrestling journalism isn't real, and I'm well, not a WWE Graves announcer. Kind of. Did. He implied it. Yeah, but this Graves did, and then Booker made the made the dirt sheet. Con- you right. get what I'm saying? It's which, which, by the way, I, I, and that's a problem to me because I don't. Well, he used w- a derogatory. Right, and I hope that. Right, okay, you get that. Um, we'll continue this debate in just a second if you'd bear with me. But my great friends at SeatGeek are back as a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and I couldn't be happier. This is the perfect sponsor for the needs of the listeners of this here show. You know, we all buy tickets to events, whether it's concerts or sporting events or for most of us, wrestling shows. And it can be a complicated and confusing thing, but SeatGeek is a better way 
to do it all. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, need to find the perfect gift, whatever you need. SeatGeek is going to help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Look, you want to see these shows live. What SeatGeek does, and it's it's an amazing thing. I was, uh, the other day, I have it on my phone, you know, it's an app, and I have it on my phone, and I was going through all kinds of different stuff. First, I was looking up, I was looking up Bruno Mars tickets to see if it's something I wanted to take my wife to, and they have these, they, it's just a great system where I can search by, okay, I can look at the seat map, and I can see where the closest seats are, or... I can find uh, the best deals, right? Because they aggregate from everywhere. So they'll find you the best deal. So if what you're looking for is the best seat at whatever price, they can find that. If you want the best deal, meaning the best value, whether it's up close or up in the nosebleeds, they can help you. Whatever you need, you're going to find the best ticket at the best price with no runaround. You're not going to find it on another website and go, oh, I should have waited. No. SeatGeek has your back. I started looking up all the WWE shows, and you can get from now to Kingdom Come, whatever is available from WWE, from Ring of Honor, from any of these places, you'll be able to get the tickets on SeatGeek. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. So they save you time, they save you money, they do everything for you, uh, and to get the most bang for your buck, the seats are actually graded from SeatGeek. So if you're going to any of these shows or you want to go to any of these shows, let's say you're going to be in New Orleans for WrestleMania. You got your WrestleMania tickets, but what's going on? The Hall of Fame is going to be there. Uh, uh, NXT is going to be there. Ring of Honor is going to be there. Don't miss any of these events. Go on SeatGeek and find the best seats to all these events and... Wait till you hear this. My listeners, the listeners to this show, they get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM, S-A-M, today. That's promo code SAM for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. I've heard from so many of you that love this product. I couldn't recommend it more. SeatGeek, download the app, promo code SAM, $20 off whatever you want to see live. Enjoy it. Seat Geek, and now back to the great wrestling journalism debate. But I, what I read from your article was it started as this outcry like, hey, wrestling journalism is a thing, but really devolved into more of a, why don't I get more access? I, I don't mean like well, you personally. I mean, why don't we as wrestling journalists get more access? Well, no. I mean, my point there and in like citing Sean Ross Hepp's tweets and stuff was I think the WWE tries to frame and maybe you know push through wrestlers i'm not saying you but tries to kind of shape a narrative that they're not journalists to discredit them your guy did sean sean ross ross sap specifically said that wwe feeds me guests and then you liked the tweet well i don't get what you're i mean you, you i don't i don't get what the distinction I don't get what distinction you're making in terms of, I mean, you, you're at Sirius XM and you have a podcast that's with Westwood One, correct? No, no, no. It's oh, independent. It's not with mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I th- sorry. I thought I heard that you moved to Westwood. No, uh, it's all good. Okay. Um, but you have a po- you have a major podcast with, uh, you know, major ad sales and all that. Mm-hmm. And you're on connected with Sirius. So, of course, you're going to get WWE guests. I don't. Because the implication that WWE, we don't, sorry, we don't all get fed WWE guests or something like that. The implication is that I am fed WWE guests because, uh, as I've been informed, I am co-opted, uh, which I don't think that's your quote, but <laughs> I am I am co-opted media and WWE knows that they're going to, the, this is, Sam's going to be able to put the message out that we want. When I've gotten heat for interviews, 
I, a lot of the interviews that I've done, especially lately in the last year or so, haven't even necessarily gone through WWE. Like, you guys also have to understand, like, I know these people, and the same way Booker and Graves can call each other, I can be like, hey, or they'll come to me and go, hey, when do I get to do your podcast? Oh, let me let me find out. Let me do it. Well, that's something that's changed, that if a, like, if a wrestler goes out on their own, they usually don't get heat for it anymore. But you also... You have to usually have a personal relationship to get that. Sure. Well, because the because there's a lot of people under the guise of wrestling journalism that engage in gotcha, not you, but engage in, in gotcha type reporting and gotcha interviews. I mean, I've been a part of them before where I can tell that these questions are being asked specifically so we can get some bait in the headline and try to get somebody in trouble or whatever. And I'm like, well, what what is what are we doing? I thought we were having like a conversation like that we could get something out of sure you know like if i were if i were a wrestler i wouldn't want to do wrestling interviews because so many are negative and so many are like there i i'm not going to get help by this as a wrestler there's i i don't see how i can get help by it and i do see how i can get hurt by it so what's what's the motive for me as a wrestler to do this wrestling interview well it depends on where and i think i think that's part of the thing too it's like I get the feeling, I mean, it's more than just a feeling that, I mean, people have kind of told me outright that it's like, they, 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 they don't feel like they can set ground rules or they don't think that the wrestling beat people will respect ground rules on interviews, which is just weird because they'll take them on the Triple H conference call, you know, the week of every NXT TakeOver show. There are specific ground rules for that call. Your questions have to be about NXT or the developmental program in general. People respect the, the guidelines for that call. Like, that always goes fine. Um, you know, when interviews go through sponsors and they go to wrestling websites, which happens occasionally, or if they're at the media events, like for the video game or, you know, for stuff around WrestleMania, like the press conferences, they'll be a little more open in who they'll let go. There there are never any issues there. So it's like as long as it's someone that you think will, you know what I mean? I think it's just, a, I think it's painting it with a wide brush. Like obviously don't go to the people who you think are going to ask gotcha questions if that's not what you want. Just go to who you think would respect whatever, if you had to agree to a terms for an interview. Like, look, I, I also get that there are people who are going to say that, you shouldn't agree to specific terms for an interview. Right, because I mean, I mean, I think the same people that you are saying would not be a problem are the people who are under an assumption that I agree to some kind of terms that I don't. And and that that's why, you know, WWE feeds me interviews because I'm safe. And I don't think that's the assumption. I think the assumption is rightly or wrongly. And I'm not saying this is what I believe, but I think the assumption that's out there is that it's kind of like it's the political donor idea that you do work for WWE, even if you're not consciously thinking, I need to not ask certain things, it, someone could con unconsciously be affected by that. I think that's more where people like that are going than saying you have a specific agreement with them not to ask about certain things. And I would also, I would ask any of those people or anybody who thinks that like WWE has influenced the way I do anything to find any tape of me before WWE, which there's 10 years of being anything other than the WWE fanboy that I've always kind of announced myself as, you know? Right. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, though, that's not an unfair argument 
I don't think, for anyone. You know what I mean? But, I mean, you're also... And, I mean, you, you've said this, so I don't think it's an insult to say this. You are an entertainment interviewer doing... You know what I mean? Yes. You're not, you're yes. not a journalist. So, yes. I mean, it's not the same thing anyway. So, but I... I for people to, like, surmise that or think it could be an issue, I don't think is the most ridiculous thing. But, again, in, like, should someone be doing independent interview? You know, that type of thing. But, again, you're not doing it as a journalist, so it's not really the same But thing. But do you... I understand that, like... There's a desire to hear WWE personalities specifically to be doing independent press. But I cannot find – if you put yourself in the position of WWE instead of the position of the person who wants to do the interview. Because trust me, I would love to just interview people with, with and, and we can just talk about whatever and, and I can get – I want to have you know John Cena in my house for two hours and be able to talk to him about whatever I want to talk to him about. And I don't know why I shouldn't be able to because the interview would be great. But realistically, that's probably not going to happen right away. Um, But do you – can you convince me of a reason why a company like WWE – not WWE specifically because this isn't a WWE problem. This is any company would be doing this. But why a company like WWE who is an entertainment company would not maintain control over their assets? I think it's more of an issue of how much control. Okay. Although – Again, it's like it's weird. Like, okay, the example like I was giving about sponsors and stuff. Okay, um, so this is I guess SummerSlam 2016 week. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing a thing with like Natalia and Friskies and Grumpy Cat. Oh yeah, I interviewed her for on that round. Okay, I did. I wasn't able to make it over to where they were doing it, so I did a phoner with her. They didn't even put a WWE PR person on the line. It went great. My point is, is like. It just seems like also weird and like not even to make sense the way they're doing it in that sense. Like, do you get what I'm saying? It's like if if you're so worried also then why when you're not directly involved are you? Well, I think because that's not that, – that was probably Friskies going out there and being like we want to get some cat food commercials on whatever you were writing for at the time deadspin or whatever website it, it ended up been. on wrestling inc actually it's they reached out to me but see so 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 there's the difference like does wwe need a commercial on wrestling inc now that's fair no this is something that but i didn't does, mention in the article does though. cat food you well, probably don't talk about cat food that much on wrestling inc well here's the thing though and i do mention this in the deadspin article to be fair i totally get that in terms of like prioritizing media time WWE talent is going to be doing local media interviews in markets where they're promoting individual shows. That yes. is where the money is made. They do local radio, is, local TV, yes. That is what they need to prioritize, and I actually think not enough people get that. Yes. So, like, in terms of time investment, I have no problem with that. That's going to be the priority. Like, that absolutely should be the priority. Right. Uh, but I think they're sometimes a little too hostile... I mean, let me give you an example. I mean, I've read lawsuits where they're arguing, where they're writing like the Dave Meltzer and other people who are no longer in wrestling journalism are just like these gossip mongers that don't really have jobs or, or, or assets. And it's like, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, OK, so that's how you really feel. Now, this is many years ago, but still. Yeah, and that could have been reactionary to something right, but specifically also... that was going on. I don't think that that was a general company statement. It was just like, well, we're being attacked over here and we have to get defensive on it. 
Sure, and there are things you're going to write in legal briefs that are not necessarily going to be exactly Policy, reflective. Yeah. Of, yeah, 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 which, oh, I get, but it's... It's the same way, yeah, I mean, the same way when, when you know, WWE had a policy of working with dirt sheets. You know what I mean? Like, like stuff... Sure. As, as, I've, as I've read before, sometimes things change, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to ask you about another point in the article that you wrote for Deadspin, which I'm not arguing the point. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about the effectiveness of it. You wrote that uh, there is one an, another one of the uh, uh, things that's against wrestling journalists is that people, uh, again, paint this wide brush over them and say, well, they're just mad because they don't work for WWE. They all just want to work for WWE. And your, your thing right. was um, some of us just want to cover the sport or yeah. sport, the form of entertainment. The whatever, yeah, the yeah. business, as it were. Do you think it helps or hurts that argument when if I went to your Twitter and did a search for my name, I could find you being shitty when I get on <laughs> WWE TV? Like, what reason would you have to say something like, oh, here comes at not Sam to ruin talking smack? If it, I mean, because I haven't done, I haven't even done the show yet. What reason would there be other than fuck him? I should be on. I should be doing this. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think you're an excellent radio personality who's not that great on TV. What does that mean? Based on what? Because people liked people liked the pre-shows and stuff and the post-shows. I think and kind of until they started getting a little too much attention, it felt like, and. I don't know. You just come off more nervous on TV than you do on the radio. You mean because I'm fidgety? I mean, so am I. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. I'm not going to. It's not. I get But so so you're saying that me coming off as nervous on TV ruins talking smack. But that's just Twitter banter. I mean, you know right. what I mean? I mean, that's not. That's a tone thing. And obviously, I'm not meeting that 100% literally. No, and I don't ever take it 100% literally. I'm not grossly offended. But I do think that, like, if if on one end you're saying Mm -hmm. wrestling journalists don't all want to be on TV, and on the other end you are in the section of wrestling journal. Wade Keller doesn't post shitty shitty stuff, and Mike Johnson doesn't post shitty stuff, and and, – Well, uh, I would would argue with that, but that's another – About me? No, in general. Oh, I'm talking about about me. But Mike Johnson doesn't, and uh, 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 Ryan Satin doesn't post. And when I say about me, I mean about Rosenberg too. That Rosenberg and me are these two guys that, while we're not wrestling journalists, we come from this world of wrestling fans who well, became public you wrestling know, I fans. I should also say though that, like, when I say that, it's not just that. I mean, it's like in terms of like the direct impact, yes, but. W- it gives this vibe of WWE saying, look, we're embraced in the real world. You know, it's, it feels like when the kind of the overcourse correcting thing they do sometimes. So it's like and it, it, I that's kind of the vibe I get from it to a degree. If that, I think you get that vibe, though, before it even happens. Like before anything has yeah, happened on television, sure. <laughs> just the idea. And I think that if they called you and said, yeah, we want you on the pre-show, you wouldn't be like. I don't know. I'm not that good on TV, and this yes, seems I like would. over. Have you seen the Hogan Hogan Gawker documentary? I would not. <laughs> do, I would never do the pre-show. <laughs> but do you do you see that it hurts that argument when you and other wrestling journalists that, that are in your category sphere, right, sure. 
are sitting there being like, no, we just want to cover the sport. <laughs> By the way, fuck Sam Roberts and fuck Peter Rosenberg. But my Twitter is not the same thing. Not that I'd ever said fuck Sam Roberts or fuck No, Peter not literally. Rosenberg, but but my Twitter is not the same. And a lot, like, maybe that's just, like, the people who I hang out with in real life that are in my, like, New York journalist sphere. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying sphere again for some reason. But, it, like, that it's, like, and maybe that's a little too much almost of, like, the ex-Gawker people attitude that mm-hmm. I'm friends with. But it's like, I don't necessarily see my Twitter as the same thing as my work, even though they are intertwined, if that makes sense. But it, it's a representation of you. Yes. Absolutely. And so it would it would add to your perspective, meaning. Yes. Absolutely. Meaning if I want to know, like, who is this guy that's writing this thing? And I go to your Twitter. I'm like, OK, I kind of get he's a snarky, like opinionated dude. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. But 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 do you see like like if I was like. I, you know, just because I'm a podcaster doesn't mean I want to be one of these wrestling journalists. By the way, you know, fuck Bix. And here's my new, you know, here's my article that I, I don't know why Deadspin doesn't put me up, but I'm not jealous of Bix. Like, do you see where the argument you'd be like, what kind of argument is that? I'm not saying you're jealous of me, by the way. That's no, not I what I, I'm saying that that I'm looking at that and I'm going like these are two directly opposing things. Right. And you you can't necessarily on one end say I'm a journalist and should be treated with respect and on the other end be like, but my Twitter is where I can be snarky and shit on the people who I'd like to be respected when I report on. Like, do you? That's fair, but that's also a larger argument that's not specific to wrestling at all. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. But do you think that like, because you write for Deadspin, if you wrote something on Twitter, and I'll just use Graves because we brought it up earlier, but it could be anybody. Mm -hmm. You've said plenty of things on Twitter that could bug any number of wrestlers. Yes. But let's say Graves. If you Although I didn't think he would take what I tweeted at him the way I did. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but but we figure out he did because, you know, while you know, you put out this tweet going like, ah, I'm just kind of messing around. Well, it's my, not well, a big deal. To, just for people who didn't see it, and I'm sure most people listening didn't, although if they followed him they see they saw it because he quote tweeted it. Right. Um he was, like, annoyed by someone in a restaurant, I think, asking his followers if he should throw, like, forks at him. It was something like that. And then I just said, like, depends. Are you going to do it to work the dirt sheets? My mistake was putting work the dirt sheets in all caps. I think if I had not done that, he would have got that I was just kind of lightly joking about it. But yeah, because in it, all caps, it came off like I was just being a prick to him. Right. It came across like, uh, oh, like, work the dirt sheets. Like, he didn't do that. Right. But right. I kind of meant it more just, like neutrally like because he did you know i mean he did just say that and he also does the twitter half in character anyway right so it's like i didn't i mean he's always he is half in character like that's him he is always yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. um but 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 let's say you are granted access like couldn't you see where even though you didn't say it in your journalism world you said it on twitter you'd sit down with graves and graves would be like you're that guy like oh i don't like you you know what I mean? And, and, but that's and, something that also happens all the time, too, in reporting and entertainment reporting. stuff. I mean, that's not unusual either. But but if it's one thing if somebody doesn't like you because you posted something with journalistic integrity that like... Sure. That like, no, I was exposing this and this should have been done. It's another thing if somebody is like, no, I don't like you because you just said nasty things about me on Twitter and I don't know why you're doing that if you're a journalist. I think that's all... I think, I mean, my attitude to some degree, at least with WWE as a as an organization and anyone who would be kind of like in lockstep with them view wise, like I kind of feel like Graves is, mm-hmm. I, I it's more feeling like it doesn't matter because it doesn't have any consequences because. But does it work to your end or does it work against your end? Like it, it doesn't matter, but is that you throwing in the towel and now I'm just going to complain about it? 
or no, but I don't think I need to muzzle myself. Well, there's a big difference between towing the corporate line and being a troll on Twitter. But I also, but here's the thing: people will say troll. I never say anything that I don't mean on ever. And by the way. It is refreshing that your name is on your Twitter. It's not like you're oh. one of these anonymous <laughs> trolls and everything. Like your no. name. Oh, of course. People know who's saying it, which I do think you deserve some credit for because most people yeah. who who engage in that. And by the way, you're not even a fraction of the worst of it. Like you're oh, not one of these I, terrible. Yeah. But you put your name on it yeah. and you put out these things. Um, all right. So let's go back then to to what we kind of. Mm-hmm. agreed upon and what we found as this wrestling journalism conversation, which was, I believe that there are stories within the world of wrestling that you could do as a as a journalistic story, meaning mm-hmm. your coverage of the Gawker, of Hogan Gawker. Mm-hmm. Obviously journalism, but lots of people covered that and they weren't wrestling journalists, they were just journalists, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... I mean, in my case, it was what got me more opportunities outside of wrestling and MMA too because it was journalism well because it was it was non-specific and it also caught it was something that people were noticing you know it was a big story right yeah. right right you know I think and I I, I I grapple with it and I'll probably have to go back and really give it a read but like I've read Dave Meltzer's coverage of the Montreal screw job multiple times I think it's the best source of information for that incident probably. So I think I think Dave Meltzer has done stuff. And when the WWE steroid case was going on, I think Meltzer mm-hmm. and Wade Keller and, and people like that, that was a real story. And that was certainly more of a wrestling story than the Hulk Hogan-Gawker story, right? Yes. Because it was existing inside this world. Well, and also the Hogan-Gawker stuff, I one thing I didn't anticipate that I noticed kind of as it kept going on was that especially once the Hogan, like, racist comments came out and he was just really not involved with wrestling directly, Mm -hmm. people stopped thinking of Hogan as a wrestling personality. Right. So there was some backlash there. yes. Until the trial started, there was, like, this weird backlash because of that that I didn't anticipate at all. But, like, once you see it, it was like, oh, I guess they they don't really consider him someone in wrestling because he is, like, a... He's a celebrity. He's a a celebrity who gets celebrity news coverage. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and so there's that, but I, I, I still kind of firmly believe that those stories are not, there's not a huge number of them. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. not something you can cover weekly or even monthly for the most part. There's not that many big stories that go beyond the WWE world that you can treat journalistically because like all like, like the, uh, Hey, what's going on with Enzo stuff? Like not the, not the rape allegations and stuff like that i mean the enzo's got heat stuff that existed everywhere oh i mean there was a story tied into well it was it was the cast story actually that ended up being completely not true about him being kicked off the bus because he's a trump supporter when he's not a trump supporter and didn't get kicked off the bus right <laughs> right so there was that, i mean like you know so there was stuff tying into that. oh i mean look enzo eventually admitted though that like he was kind of forced to dress in outside of the main dressing room no i mean that did that was true I know, but that's like a, a this tiny little thing, and you can see how it happens. Like this little thing happens right here, and then the that, snowball well, starts to build. That was kind of the crux of the of the Enzo as heat stuff, though. I feel like so. What I don't, was the the being forced to dress separately? Because that's always like the big indicator of this guy has heat. No, I understand, but like the 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 amount of stories that I read about the different locker room bus. 
all these incidents mm-hmm. based on what I had heard from people that were around and the way they were different. Yeah. When I when I go to shows and I'm like, oh, Baron Corbin has nuclear heat right now. Everybody hates Baron Corbin right now. And I'm going and I'm like, I don't understand why Baron Corbin's getting along with everybody well, so well right now. He's supposed to have heat with everybody. Oh, I like, absolutely I, think there are people exaggerate that too. And I So I, like those are the stories though that pop up day to day, week to week. Like that's how wrestling websites can make well, their it's money. Signal, it's a signal to noise ratio thing in a few ways, I think. It's uh, first, as I was gonna say this earlier, and I forget where we got lost in something else. Sure. Um, I think that the most visible, and there's so many, you know, as we like to call them, wrestling news with the Z sites, mm-hmm. it, it, those are kind of going to be the most visible a lot of the time. It's going to kind of slam people's view of things. Not necessarily you. You read the Observer. You have for a long time. You read a bunch of different places that are not like that. But in general, that's kind of like the, the bringing back of the word dirt sheet and being used in a more negative way I think that's unfair has come with the, but has come kind of with that perception but I also think that dirt sheets should be viewed for what they are and it is gossip and even when you have material that is sourced it's a lot of times sourced from people that maybe that wouldn't necessarily be looked at as reliable journalistic sources in any other medium it could be people with agendas it could be people well I heard but from that this guy happens in everything though I mean that's that I feel like is a too like that is a looking at wrestling without looking at how news is covered elsewhere. Like, let's put it this way. The whole, like, thing that kind of governs wrestling coverage is that wrestling is weird and insular, kayfabe and blah, blah, blah. So you kind of need to you're, – you're less likely to get on the record quotes than in other uh, yeah, mediums. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so it was like the analogy I used with something like this, like, the other day was, like, just treat it like national security reporting. Like, you know what I mean? It's – you're – of course, there are always going to be people with agendas, but that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a wrestling-specific thing. But it's like, to me, it just makes sure you're reporting it as two WWE wrestlers, one former WWE exec. You know what I mean? Just be specific. In, in I think people are credited in terms of what they are and yeah, where it came from. Yeah, and that's a thing that I think has been an issue in wrestling reporting for a long time that's getting better. Yeah. That, like... and. I don't want to name names because they keep getting in trouble, even though I'm not taking shots at the people who... Well, I probably will, once we get off the air, ask you about some of your blind items that you've posted on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that... No, that's an issue where there still needs to be improvement, but they're absolute, But it absolutely is getting better. For the record, once on Twitter you wrote, there's a podcaster that's tricking people into doing his podcast... Uh, uh, oh, that's under not the gu- you. Right. And, and you said that on Twitter, like in replies and stuff. But I just wanted to make sure that that was out there. I'm going to ask you who it was as soon as we're done, by okay. the way. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I still kind of feel like uh, I think we're winding down. But I'm 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 in my spot of while there are few and far between stories that people who cover wrestling would have a better insight on. I think you're a great guy to cover the rest the, the Hogan Gawker story because mm-hmm. of your familiarity with what Hulk Hogan does and what he's famous for and, and what this, you know, this thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's stories that involve Vince McMahon or anybody else, the Enzo story, whatever it is, like stories that are, are real news stories that involve people within that world. Since you cover wrestling, you would be a good person to cover it. But the idea of being a wrestling journalist still to me seems like a, a um, 
what's that thing called when it's like it it's an opposite like it's a it can't be like it's like saying i'm a oh, uh, fat skinny uh, guy anachronism I guess anachronism. That word wouldn't have come to me anytime soon, but I'll but, take it. I, but I think we did come to an agreement that that maybe what you were saying initially didn't come out as eloquently as. Well, you I'm said. glad that we had time to expand upon it. Right. That I think you're saying that. I mean, we said this earlier. You think there are journalists that cover wrestling and cover wrestling stories journalistically, but you don't think wrestling journalism necessarily exists as a beat and a thing, right? Because of and kind I, of where a lot of the focus has to be. And I think people need to. My issue, I guess, is that it's the way people read st- story wrestling stories that are strictly about the wrestling business, whether mm-hmm. it's who has heat, whether it's where's the storyline going, whether it's who's coming to what company, and that's a little less now than it was in the 90s. Yeah. But generally, there are people who will read it on the internet and be like, well, this is happening so. And it's like, we can't, that's not a conversation to have because you read something that is clearly a gossip column. I don't have any problem with gossip columns, mm-hmm. but I don't think page six is like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, there's some real journalism going on here because it's, it's gossip. I like gossip. I like rumors. Sure. But when you're dealing in rumors, I think everybody involved has to be clear that it's rumors. Mm-hmm. And I think very often in this business, wrestling journalists do not make it clear that they are dealing in rumor and that they don't actually know if what they're writing is true. Um, I would agree with that with the caveat, though, that it kind of goes back to what I was saying about kind of sourcing and attribution. And it's like, we should know, is this one person who you really trust? Is this two people saying the same thing, et cetera? Right. I think that's that's where a lot of the like confusion and negativity lies. And I think that's where a lot of Eric Bischoff's complaints lie. But and you you should also know you as in like you're the, the representative royal, yeah. yes. for, you know, the whole industry of, of wrestling journalism. Unfortunately. That when you yeah, when you say things that are not cool, like people mm-hmm. are affected by it. Like when you say th- things like that, like even if it's just like whether it's a goof on Twitter or whether it's an article or whether it's whatever or yeah. Eric Bischoff doesn't know what he's talking about. Like if Eric Bischoff sees that, he's going to be like, I'm a guy who just read that like. that person said something bad about me, I don't like him. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be... That's also very accurate about Eric Bischoff himself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that's, like, that's how people are are going to react regardless of if they're public figures or not. And, and And it becomes contentious when somebody using journalism as, uh, I have credibility to say things goes into... I'm just a guy on Twitter who likes to make wise ass comments. Like there's it it gets really muddy. I would no, I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, 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 no, I think it can get muddy and and it gets times and where I think I and everyone else kind of need to be more aware of it and think it through more. But you also know how Twitter is, and it's like I, and this is with everyone who uses Twitter, public public figure, you know, or not. Sometimes it just it. I, I always make sure I think and don't say anything like too ridiculous, but it's like sure. stuff's still going to come. You it's you, it, you still use it in a way. Everyone, I think, uses it in a way where it's still a little too real time. You also have to you, you have to like figure out what it, what is what is the audience you're going for? Like if the audience you're going for is the people who follow you on Twitter that think it's funny, like when you again, you the collective. And I should you. also say just specific to me. Obviously, I would not have come here and gone face to face if I didn't also expect you to vanity search. Right. 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 But like when 
when a wrestler or somebody in the business or somebody who whatever is is connected to it in any way, shape, or form, is like, oh, I'm getting shit on Twitter. That's not a surprise. That's no matter what you do. You know, I mean, I could not tell you. But luckily for me, like, it's not like when I go on WWE TV, this is, what are these negative tweets? Like, I get negative tweets every single day, nonstop. It's like, it's what it is. It's part of this thing that I do, and I don't, not mad about that. But I think there's also a distinction should be made. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying that Flip Gordon being a flat earther is ridiculous. That's fine. Yeah. But expect Flip Gordon to be like, you're an asshole if you think the world is round. Well, he also, <laughs> like, he vanity searched and blocked me, which I didn't realize till this weekend. When it's you know how like a lot, so often, especially with that type of thing, if someone blocks you, you won't realize until someone else is quote tweeting them. Or sure, whatever. sure. And I'm guessing because I only t- it's only tweeted about a few times, and one was just like, just like oh, Flip Gordon being a flat earther is exactly what I needed today. Like just something like plain like that, not mm-hmm. even overly snarky. I'm guessing what did it was me tweeting the Sherry Shepard view clip <laughs> where she's like, I, I don't know if the earth's flat around. I know what I do care about, feeding my kids. Right. Oh, I've seen the clip. <laughs> yeah. And for the record, I'm pretty sure the earth is round. I'm going with round. Fairly sure. Yeah, quite sure. But it's uh, also... We should also point out Flip Gordon has wrestled in Japan. It's <laughs> but that's also going to be one of those things where, like, if it's just snark... Or just like, uh, yeah, sorry, that stool is not fair. Yes. Um, but if it's just like, oh, he's just being a dick, like be like, oh, this is wrestling journalism. Like, and they see like, who is this guy? Like, why is he popping up here? Why does he have followers? And you're like, oh, oh, that's wrestling journalism. Yeah, I mean, I will say in the grand scheme of things specific to what I, like the joking about you ruining the pre-show panels, I think that was more, when I said something like that, it was more like in the, like kind of what I said about the idea of it representing, oh, this is, this is what WWE is trying to present. Mm-hmm. venue specifically though I, I i do still think that obviously you're better on you're much better on camera than me i will say <laughs> <laughs> but i do i think i actually think rosenberg's on better on camera than you even though i don't really like rosenberg how come you don't like rosenberg he's just annoying right <laughs> he's he just little, he just gives he you just, the, he's the just, he just he just rubs me the wrong way like because with him i also feel like it kind of came off as this progression from like I can't believe I'm friends with Mark Henry, too. I'm friends with Mark Henry. You know what I mean? Like, gotcha. I get that vibe. It just, I get a weird vibe from him. Now, I should also say, even though some people have tried to give it credibility, I don't believe for one second that he is paying to be on WWE. <laughs> no, he's certainly not getting, you know, you know he's certainly. Which is the weirdest yeah. rumor that's been out there in a while, and he's, I have no clue why people believe it. He's not, he's not paying to be on WWE TV. No. I, like, okay, let me just ask, because this gets still kind of the heart of everything we're talking about. When did you, did you first hear that online or did you, like, because I'm assuming there are people in WWE. The Rosenberg like, thing? Yeah. Or the, I'm assuming there are people that don't like him in WWE that put it out there too. And that's why some people are giving I don't, credibility. But I, like, did you first hear it online or? I heard it. The first time I ever heard it was when Kevin Owens tweeted it. <laughs> and that was, and I thought it was Kevin Owens. I think Kevin Owens tweeted it. I thought that was it. just a joke. I did too. Yeah, like, but I think, I, here's what happens. When you don't like somebody and some people on the internet for whatever reason don't like him. Some people on the internet don't like me. If, if Kevin Owens does the same thing about me, that rumor about me would be prevalent because that's what happens. But there are, for a lot of people, if you don't like somebody and that thing just pops up there, yeah. you just decide, it's, well, I'm going to say it's true now because that's funny and I can, I, can, I can make myself feel better by saying, well, I would never pay to do that. And it's like, neither does he. Yeah. He gets, well, he gets paid. Yes, although He's in a, he gets paid. He gets although, a paycheck. I don't think Kevin Owens was who t- who tweeted the fifteen thousand dollar figure. That I don't know where the hell that came from. I don't know either. If he is, he's getting a raw deal because you don't. It, it, 
I'm not paying. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh, very much, man, uh, for for doing this and, and having the balls to show up and everything. Of course, uh, Bix's uh, articles are all up on Deadspin. Where can they follow you on Twitter? At David Bix. And also, if they want to check out my podcast, which uh, me and Chris Zellner do every week, it's uh, Between the Sheets, where we try to go over the wrestling news in a given week how X years ago. I think it's a great concept. Yeah. And it like I think it also like we look at like, did this end up happening? How does this report compare to this report from the other newsletter? And it's in it. I always like I always have a lot of fun doing it. And it's an interesting way to look back at that. So just search between the sheets on any of your favorite uh, podcast providers. Just make sure it's the one hosted by Chris Elner and me. Otherwise, you'll be hearing about some other stuff that you may or may not want. Yeah, it's hear. not going to be good. Um, and also uh, this, it's also on SoundCloud just so you can find that at uh, between the sheets Awesome, man. Thanks for doing the show. My pleasure. Thank you. So I thank David Bixenspan for being a part of that debate. And before we go a step further, I want to thank you guys for listening and to thank you. How about some free bacon? That's right. Free bacon from Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Who else is going to do that for you? I'll tell you how I'm doing it for you. It's through my friends and your new friends at ButcherBox. You see, ButcherBox delivers healthy, 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-bred pork directly to your door. All of the Butcher Box products uh, are, are humanely raised the way nature intended, free from antibiotics and other hormones. Look, you can't trust food so often in today's day and age. You go to the supermarket, you don't know what they're putting in. I watch these Netflix documentaries, I go crazy. I want to know, I want to eat meat. I love to eat chicken. But everybody's telling me, oh, there's this kind of hormone. There's this kind of antibiotic. That one says it's organic. It's not even organic. It's madness, I tell you. Madness. Who is there to help you? ButcherBox. That's who. ButcherBox makes it all so simple by promising you healthy, high-quality, real-life food. They're basically a neighborhood butcher for modern America. Five different box types are available. All beef, beef and chicken, beef and pork, the mixed box, or the custom box, which is going to let you choose your own cuts. You can order now and get $10 off, and here it comes, free bacon. That's right. I'm saving you $10 off your entire meat box. The whole box from Butcher Box. You're going to get 10 bucks off for being a listener to this show, and... I got you some free bacon as well. You can save your bacon with free bacon. All you have to do is go to butcherbox.com and use the code Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. You can cancel anytime without penalty. Just give it a try. Trust me. Plus, by taking out the middleman and purchasing directly from a collective of ranches, ButcherBox is able to offer a price of only $129 a month, which works out to less than six dollars a meal and shipping is free anywhere in the 48 states when was the last time you ate for six bucks especially a hearty healthy meaty meal butcher box is making it happen go to butcherbox.com offer code roberts to order now and get ten dollars off and free bacon ten dollars off free bacon butcherbox.com offer code roberts check it out here is Sam Roberts. So I'm glad that whole thing went down in the interview segment this week, the great wrestling journalism debate. Look, I got to tell you, I don't necessarily feel any differently after having that conversation with David. I'm really glad that he did the show. Uh, 
You know, it takes balls to come forward and, and meet face-to-face and do something like that. But I kind of stand by a lot of what I said, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people need to take a, a good hard look at it. I think that uh, we kind of hit the nail on the head when he talked about his frustrations and how he lets his frustrations be known. I think when you're a guy who wants to be a part of a world, right? I'm not saying that wrestling journalists all want to work for WWE, but they all want to be a part of the collective wrestling world, even if it's just a person covering it. You don't see journalists being shitty on Twitter. like you, and, and especially... In a world like uh, like pro wrestling, you know, where you're where you want, admittedly, you want interviews with WWE talent, and there's just there's a big difference between writing an article that maybe WWE doesn't like. It's newsworthy, but WWE doesn't like it, and you know, just going on Twitter and being like, "Oh, so and so sucks. This person is going to ruin the show." Blah blah blah. So. You know, I'm glad that that point was made, and I'm glad that uh, David brought up points of of actual journalism that's happened within the wrestling space because I don't want to discredit anybody's work. That's not the point of the conversation. But I think the point of the conversation remains that true, newsworthy, credited journalism can exist involving wrestlers. But generally speaking, when there is a story that requires journalism, it ends up taking on a life outside of just the wrestling space and and stories that exist just within the wrestling space tend to be more rumor, opinion, assumption stories, which I like reading people's assumptions. I like reading people's takes on things. I like reading rumors, but it's just a different thing. And I think I think we found a nice understanding together uh, in that conversation. So again, thanks to thanks to him for doing that. Now, there's a lot to get to in the state of wrestling this week, of course. Coming off of Elimination Chamber, which I'll get into, you know, I I thought it was a good, albeit predictable, pay-per-view. You know, I don't think there were any shocks. Uh, I I, I think it brought us to a place where we all kind of assumed we were going towards WrestleMania. Honestly, I think more questions were raised coming off of Raw and coming off of SmackDown than coming off of the Elimination Chamber. And a lot of times when WrestleMania season comes... We sit there, especially towards the beginning of WrestleMania season, and we're kind of rolling our eyes. And there have been plenty of WrestleMania seasons where we sit there, and the show always ends up being good, but a lot of times we walk into WrestleMania not terribly excited. I don't think that there's any chance of that happening this year. I feel like there is an excitement in the air. I think that there is an unpredictability in the air, and I think that part of that is the amount of brand new talent, that, that we've never had a roster this loaded going into a WrestleMania. So uh, I feel like like the, the well is about to flood over. The dam is about to break. And that's going to happen as we head towards WrestleMania. I'll get into all that and more this week in my top five stories that you are going to hear uh, only in the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is time for the State of Wrestling here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Of course, the only place where you're going to get Sam Roberts 
top five stories of the week. Completely arbitrarily numbered. It's just up to me and the five stories that I feel like talking about. We usually do this live on Facebook. I record it uh, on sometime on Wednesday afternoon or evening before the podcast drops on Thursday morning. So if it's something that you want to be a part of when we do it live, you get to watch the video and contribute in the chat. Just like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash notsam. You'll be able to follow along there and hopefully get an alert whenever it goes live and all that. Now, before we get into the top five stories, uh, unfortunately, a pretty big one did not make the list this week just because the week got pretty complicated as we went along. The week got pretty complicated uh, specifically after Raw and SmackDown as the uh, portrait of WrestleMania and Fastlane started to get painted. So the story that did not make my personal top five this week was Johnny Gargano leaving NXT, losing his NXT career. The NXT stories are always a little odd to cover on a podcast like this because we could cover it in real time or we could cover it when it comes out on TV. I find it easier to cover when it comes out on the network because otherwise you're just kind of using spoilers that are on the internet to inform you of what's going on, which kind of goes back to our question about wrestling journalism and how, and while it's more reliable than most wrestling journalism is because it's firsthand accounts of what happened in the arena. It's still not the same as watching it, but I was surprised that Johnny Gargano uh, signed the paperwork and is out of NXT. Normally in any other circumstance, I would say this will not stand. And there is still a possibility that this will not stand because I think there's still a lot left for Gargano to do in NXT. Um, I have, I don't remember anybody in NXT ever building up quite this much goodwill. And he's done it over a period of time, and the story's been told so artfully. This Him leaving NXT kind of comes out of nowhere. I think that there is a pretty major NXT championship run inside Gargano. I think that the NXT fans want to see Johnny Gargano as the NXT champion. So I f- kind of feel like moving him to 205 Live would be a downgrade. I don't think he'd get the same attention that he gets in NXT. And I would rather see him have a skyrocketed top-of-the-card run in NXT than I would on the main roster. Also, we have not seen the Ciampa match. We have not seen, because Ciampa's been injured, we have not seen that story played out to its full, especially since we started it. So all logic would have me believe that Johnny Gargano is not done in NXT at all. The only thing that stops me from saying that uh, 100% is that NXT doesn't usually do stuff like that. NXT is not does not tell stories in a way where they just kind of throw things out arbitrarily. You don't see the title get thrown around like a hot potato and you don't the idea of a superstar losing their career. Like they, they, when something happens in NXT, there is usually a heaviness about it. There is there is a reliability on the product. We've been conditioned to believe what we see in NXT in terms of storyline. So it would definitely be breaking from the tradition of what NXT is if Gargano is just, this is all just a build towards a big match at TakeOver New Orleans. And it could be. But either way, I kind of think it's a mistake. I think that it would be a mistake to lead people into believing that he's leaving NXT when he's not. And I think it would be a mistake for him to leave NXT. So I'm interested to see what they do. uh, But, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't know why now would be the time for him to leave NXT. I say, uh, uh, 
Drew Albert says, Johnny Gargano feels like the new Daniel Bryan. I think that's right. Peter says, what popularity? No one knows him outside of the WWE Network. The type of popularity when you can run a show in an arena and the whole arena is going crazy for you. The type of popularity when you have a match in this NXT organization that nobody knows about where they're already talking about it being match of the year. I don't think that anybody can sit there and see... uh, Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Almas from the last TakeOver special and say that Gargano's not popular, right? Like, you know, I I get that most people who watch Raw don't also watch NXT. I get that NXT has a smaller audience. But when you put Gargano in a headline match in an arena at an NXT TakeOver, the building goes nuts for him. So... You know, that there's not that many people who can go into an arena and sell tickets to it in a main event spot and have people wanting him to be the champion. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's a fair statement. Let's go, uh, and there are already people saying, yeah, uh, Gargano gets reinstated. I would imagine, but we'll see. Um, let's go into the state of wrestling, the top five stories, officially. Story number five is the Elimination Chamber. So, of course... The Elimination Chamber pay-per-view itself, and we talked about this a little bit in the bridge segment. I found the pay-per-view to be a good, solid show. I thought that it went quickly. You know, when it when the clock struck 11 and I realized the pay-per-view had gone over three hours, I was surprised. I thought it was like 10.30, and I looked down at the clock and saw we're already into overtime, and that's always a good sign for a pay-per-view, and very rarely is it the case. So I think that it was an exciting show. I think that the women's match was well done. The story that was going on between Sasha and Bailey, specifically in that women's match, was really, really important and only adds to what I was saying last week about how, or either last week or two weeks ago, that there absolutely needs to be a WrestleMania grudge match between Bailey and Sasha Banks. Now, based on the behavior of the two characters, it's hard to imagine anybody other than Sasha Banks being the heel, being the bad guy out of those two. But Bailey did avoid Sasha Banks for the tag. I do hope that they pull the trigger on it soon. I don't like this sort of, well, we're still friend the frenemies thing. We're still friends, but we're not really friends. They're competitive friends. Like you really have to just define. Sasha Banks needs to screw Bailey over. I mean, Bailey's got all the reason in the world to not be friends with this person. You're talking about Sasha Banks who eliminated Bailey from the Royal Rumble. You're talking about Sasha Banks who uh, betrayed Bailey inside the elimination chamber. And while all of these Uh, moments are technically every person for themselves you're still it's 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 always the same story of one person turning on their friend so I don't I don't see why we wouldn't just pull the trigger and say okay Sasha Banks has betrayed Bailey Bailey wants revenge very easy story to tell you allow Sasha Banks to be her best which is a bad guy you allow Bailey to be her best which is a sympathetic good guy that the fans can relate to and you allow Sasha Banks and Bailey with no one else no one at ringside, just those two in a ring at WrestleMania to try to outdo what they did at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 1. I think that that, and, and, and that, that match is being slept on because not enough, because Bailey and Sasha Banks have not been in the best spotlight since being on the main roster, quite frankly. Sasha Banks is improving by leaps and bounds and has had some, probably one of the most amazing last month or two that she's had in a very, very long time as far as reminding people what she's capable of. But, uh, you know, her and Charlotte trading the title back and forth didn't do much for Sasha Banks in the sense that we didn't have faith in her as a champion because at any moment she was going to lose it. Nobody really believed she was going to hold on to it. And 
um, and and since then, not that much has happened with her. So I think that the last two months have been gangbusters for Sasha Banks. I think that this is exactly what Bailey needs to remind everybody that she was at one point one of the most popular women on the roster, that when she showed up on Raw, she was looked at as the hottest free agent signing. That's what Mick Foley described her as when he was the general manager. Character-wise, storyline, this is what we're talking about. Not, you know, not real, real, fakesy, fakesy. But uh, I, I think that that's the match to have, and it's going to remind everybody what these two are capable of. I also think that Alexa Bliss's promo at the end of the match was just perfect. Um, and while part of me saw it coming, part of me could have believed that it wasn't coming. S- Alexa Bliss, leading up to the Elimination Chamber, had been interrupting Absolution beating up the roster. Alexa Bliss had actually looked like a teammate of the women's roster, not somebody who was against everybody leading to this chamber match. So when she started, like, crying, crocodile tears, and talking about how, you know, this was a dream and blah, 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 I said, they're not going this route with Alexa Bliss, are they? And when I found out, nope, nope, they aren't. I was like, yes, we did it. And I thought she played it off perfectly. Uh, I thought it was great. I think we're going to need a little bit of definition as to why Mickey James is with her all of a sudden. But I just thought what she did was absolutely perfect at Elimination Chamber. You had the... uh, Now, the result of the match was predictable. Although, all of a sudden, as I'm watching the final of this match, Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss, I go, okay, so my hoop dream is to have Sasha Banks and Bayley in a one-on-one match with no stipulation or no nothing hanging over their heads. But what about if Sasha Banks won the title from Alexa Bliss in this Elimination Chamber match? Asuka, who has not declared which champion she's going to be facing, chooses Charlotte... Alexa Bliss can get a rematch sometime on Raw, and we're left with a Raw Women's Championship match between Sasha Banks and Bayley. That is that that is one direction they could have gone in, and as I was watching this, I was like, maybe that's where they're going. Maybe that's how they avoid having three women's matches and the Ronda Rousey match at WrestleMania. They're going to only have the two title matches, but one of them is Sasha Banks versus Bayley. I said, that's a possibility. But when Alexa Bliss won, it became like, okay, so they're going with what? We all thought they were going with. I only hope that they're going to include Sasha Banks and Bailey. Uh, you had the tag match, which was, I thought, uh, a really strong outing by Titus Worldwide. I don't think anybody was shocked that the bar won. You know, placement on the card was what it was. I, I, their, their match served a purpose, and it served the purpose well. Oscar versus Nia Jax, uh, you know, no big... Super shockers there. Asuka wins. I thought Nia Jax looked strong at the end by destroying Asuka, and it's only going to make Asuka look better. I think there is um, a little bit of fatigue sitting in with setting in with Asuka just because it's starting to feel like the same thing over and over again. Uh, I don't think that there's any choice. I think to change up what you're doing with Asuka before you get to WrestleMania would be a mistake. Um, but I think after WrestleMania is when we need to blow off this undefeated streak and start just you know, making Asuka a, a, a normal competitor because I still think that she's the best woman on the roster right now. I think that she's just money, 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 money. So you had that, and then, uh, uh, oh, and then, of course, Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt, which it's, you know, I just feel bad for Bray Wyatt. I just, so much potential at one point, and it's just, it is, it's kind of, it is what it is. You know, I guess they're going to continue on with that. I wouldn't imagine that that's going to be a match at WrestleMania, 
I don't think that they're going to use one of the WrestleMania slots to put on another Bray Wyatt-Matt Hardy match. And if they do, I don't know what they could do to get everybody interested. I just don't. You know, Brother Nero's going to come back at some point, but whatever. Then you've got the women, the men's, the men's Elimination Chamber match where you did a few things. So Ro- obviously Braun Strowman looked amazing. Uh, I thought... F- Finn Balor, they're going out of their way to make Finn Balor also look strong. I thought Finn Balor looked really strong. I love the story they're telling with John Cena, but we'll get into John Cena in a moment. Uh, obviously, Braun Strowman was a beast, and and it's almost like they're ju- they just keep flirting with this thing. And I think you have to be careful with a guy like Braun Strowman that they keep showing him as unbeatable except when it really matters. He is unstoppable, except he can't bring home the big one. And at some point, that's another thing that people are going to grow weary of. And very soon, Braun Strowman needs to have the Universal Championship. Very, very soon. Braun Strowman needs to win that title. And Braun, like, here's the thing. And we'll talk about Brock Lesnar in a couple minutes as well. Actually, you know what? Let me save my... Braun Strowman has the ability to be what... Brock Lesnar is now Braun Strowman has the ability to do that every night like in Braun Strowman maybe not quite the mainstream appeal but he'll he's gonna lie I mean an outsider can look at Braun Strowman and be impressed I think Braun Strowman has close to what you've got in Brock Lesnar except he's able to do it every single night for you know a fraction of the cost so Braun Strowman is all upside it's just you can't keep having him lose when it really really counts which brings me to Roman Reigns winning that match. I don't think I don't think that anybody was surprised by uh by the Braun Strowman loss and the Roman Reigns win, but almost in a disappointed way. It was almost like, oh my god, like the plan seems like it's always been for Roman Reigns to face Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania, but I don't think that the WWE realized the roster that they would have in front of them. It's almost like this fortuitous, uh, um, fortunate mistake, whatever that's, a seren- fortuitous, serendipitous chance happening where you've got all the stars coming together at once. You've got an elimination chamber full of talent like we've never had before, regardless of what you say. There's never been a roster like the roster that is on this show right now. I mean, Sheamus and Cesaro are doing the best work they've ever done. And it's still like Tag Team Championship is the best spot for them because a lot of people are doing the best work they've ever done on the main roster. You know, I mean, that everybody in that Elimination Chamber match is doing the best work they've ever done, including John Cena, who again, I'll talk about momentarily. Uh, I found the Roman Reigns win to be predictable. I thought good work was done within the Roman Reigns uh, landscape on Monday, which we'll talk about. Um, But overall, I found the pay-per-view to be a fun, great watch with fairly predictable results. And it made you feel like, okay, I kind of thought I knew where WrestleMania was going for the last several months, and this pay-per-view made me feel like I absolutely knew where WrestleMania was going for the last several months, which brings us to story number four, which is the first wild card for WrestleMania season, and that is John Cena. I thought John Cena, story number four, because his 
performance over the last several months, really, since losing to Roman Reigns, has been really, really interesting. It's been a nice, long, slow play of a story. After Survivor Series, Wade Keller and I had a conversation about how John Cena was going to be used, and should he be used in roles like this where not a lot of impact was being made? And I'll tell you, at the time, it seemed like you're wasting John Cena, and today it seems like that was one puzzle piece into this grand story that is now being told that we can now believe, in the sense that John Cena, whether it's because he's not a he's not, you know, the young guy anymore, he's the grizzled veteran, whether it's because he's not a full-time guy anymore, whether it's because his mind is on Hollywood, whether it's because the roster is more talented than it's ever been, for whatever reason, John Cena is not big match John anymore. Super Cena is not the guy that we're looking at. It's like when Superman decided to give up his powers so he could be with Lois Lane. Remember that in the movie? When he's just Clark Kent, and it's like... It doesn't do it for him. It doesn't do it for the people around him. It's just incomplete. And it's missing something, and you have to give it up to go back to being Superman. And John Cena, his character right now is that guy. I mean, you saw him on Talking Smack, talking about how he was going to have to do things maybe a little bit unconventionally, and hinting towards a heel turn, which this is the most it's ever been hinted at. I think a heel turn was definitely hinted at the Royal Rumble when he was within the match. You know, not verbally, but as as he was in that last portion of the match, he was definitely not working like a good guy works. He was working like a guy who wanted to win the match regardless of how he won it, right? And that was what I heard from the guy on talking. Uh, I mean, on Raw Talk, coming off of Elimination Chamber. Um, you know, I I thought that his promo on Raw was really, really interesting because it it was a frustrated John Cena, right? It wasn't company guy John Cena. It was a John Cena that was sitting there going, the match that I want, for some reason, can't happen. I still am not convinced that the John Cena-Undertaker match isn't going to happen, um, but now he's off to SmackDown where he's got a fast lane match. He's gonna. It's now a six-pack challenge, which again... It's like the Elimination Chamber, but without the Chamber. It's what we talked about with SmackDown last week. But I thought SmackDown this week was much, much better than it was last week. And I thought it was an interesting show that stuff moved on. And there was a lot to talk about and and unpack afterwards. So it's definitely in the right direction. Um, But John Cena, I can't imagine that he's going to win that six-pack challenge. I can't imagine that we're looking at a John Cena-Nakamura match. It'd be an interesting match, but let's be honest. There's one match that the WWE Universe has been clamoring for since probably like the summer when they looked eye-to-eye at Money in the Bank, and that's AJ Styles versus Nakamura. Everybody that I talk to, maybe not everybody, there's people on Twitter that are like, that's not what we want to see. Most people want to see this AJ Styles versus Nakamura match. By the way, Tim Delaney on Facebook just said Fastlane is the worst pay-per-view name ever. Six months ago, we had a pay-per-view called Great Balls of Fire. Yeah, Fastlane is really bad. Great Balls of Fire, okay? Just because you got Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar in the main event doesn't mean you can make up for the name of the show. So, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to where John Cena goes after, in my mind, he does not win the six-pack challenge on SmackDown. Because look, if he doesn't win this thing on SmackDown, John Cena has now been afforded more opportunities 
than anyone on the roster in terms of getting a path to WrestleMania. Nobody's been afforded more opportunities than John Cena. So where does he go now? Okay, I think uh, one of the websites, and this goes back to our conversation about wrestling journalism, so we can't take it terribly seriously, but one of the websites is reporting that John Cena is going to wrestle Rey Mysterio. Maybe. That match doesn't, like, strike me as, like, super exciting the match I want to see because, you know, I'd, I'd rather see John Cena with a young guy and Rey Mysterio with a young guy, personally. But... Or if you're going to have John Cena with a, with an older guy, it should be John Cena with The Undertaker. I'm still not convinced that that John Cena-Undertaker match won't happen. You know, I, I think that you could tell a very convincing story with John Cena versus Braun Strowman. You know, possibly. You'd have to do some storytelling right now, but it's possible. It's there. You know, I have different ideas for Braun Strowman, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I I I love who John Cena is in this moment. I love the John Cena character. And I think that it's going to be very, very cool to watch this whole thing unwind. Kenneth is saying, are people still thinking that John Cena versus Elias is a possibility? I feel like a lot of attention has been pushed away from the John Cena and Elias story. It's still the match that I want to see because I think it'd be good for Elias. But I think now with the story that John Cena is telling, John Cena versus Elias is a match that makes sense if John Cena is just a player trying to allow somebody else to shine. There is a story being told for John Cena now, which is John Cena is not the John Cena that he used to be. John Cena cannot win the big one anymore. John Cena can't find his way to WrestleMania, and that story doesn't quite make sense for Elias to me. It doesn't hold weight anymore. The way you have to change... Whatever was in your head in terms of what you wanted, I wanted John Cena versus Elias, but the story that's being told right now is not a story that Elias fits into. I don't know exactly where Elias fits in. You know, I think Elias would be a really great pick to win the Andre Battle Royal, just because it's something else for him to brag about, but I don't exactly know where Elias fits in, but he's one of the, he's, he's, he's the future. Elias is the future. Um, So that's John Cena number three, is uh, number three story of the week is Brock Lesnar. And what on earth is going on with Brock Lesnar? So is first of all, is Brock Lesnar going back to the UFC? On the night of Fastlane, Dana White, who obviously lives in Vegas, tweeted out a photo with Brock Lesnar, Brock wearing a UFC t-shirt. There is no confirmation on whether that's a, a new photo or an old photo, but Brock obviously didn't make an appearance at the... Brock doesn't live in Las Vegas. He lives on a farm in Canada or something like that. Brock didn't make an appearance at the pay-per-view. And obviously, he either wasn't at Raw or no-showed Raw, depending on what the story is, which we'll talk about. So, I would have to believe that he probably wasn't in Vegas because I don't know why he would be in Vegas and then no-show WWE on the night of a WWE show. It just seems like an unnecessary slap in the face. Now, this could easily just be Dana White trying to drum up some publicity, which Dana White has been known to do and I think would be a smart move. Um, If Brock Lesnar goes back to UFC, I think that the WWE is in the best position it possibly could be in for that scenario. I think the last time that Brock Lesnar was flirting with leaving, WWE needed his star power. I think that now, WWE does not need Brock Lesnar anymore. It's it's never a bad thing to have a Brock Lesnar, but WWE no longer needs Brock Lesnar. And it may be a really good thing if Brock Lesnar leaves because it would give a chance 
for these guys that we see in front of us to become stars. It's difficult to become a star when a star as big as Brock Lesnar, who is unbeatable and half the time isn't even in the building, is hanging over your head. Same thing happened when The Rock was back. When The Rock was hanging over John Cena and The Miz, it was really tough for John Cena or The Miz to get anything done because all the attention was on The Rock. That's Brock Lesnar in a nutshell. He does get eyes on the product. He does make people look better. He made Braun Strowman look better. He made Samoa Joe look better. He made AJ Styles look better. So I'm not saying that there's anything that he's a waste of time. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been there. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the position that he's in right now. But should he go back to UFC? I don't think WWE is losing anything. And quite honestly, I mean, Brock Lesnar is a freak of nature. So if anybody can handle it in the UFC at his age, it's Brock. But I don't know if he can. Brock is, a, is several years older than when he was last in UFC. WWE has made it pretty easy for him. And, you know, I don't know why Dana White is taking a photo with a guy who kind of embarrassed him the last time he fought because he might or might not have been on steroids. You know? I, like, that doesn't do anything for UFC. So I think it was just Dana White kind of, uh, you know, elbowing the rib of Vince McMahon a little bit, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But... I really don't have a problem with Brock Lesnar going back to UFC either. And over on the women's side of things, we got Ronda Rousey. So we're going to have a WrestleMania where theoretically we've got Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar on the same show. Once that happens once, you don't need for that to continue. You've got Ronda Rousey, theoretically to some kind of a full-time deal. That's what they've been talking about. So you've got that star power. Ronda Rousey is as big a star from the MMA world as there is in terms of crossing over to the mainstream. And... On the other end, you've got Braun Strowman. You've got John Cena making part-time appearances. You've got Roman Reigns, who whether you like him or not is a giant star. You've now spent a year, or at least the last several months, building up The Miz and Finn Balor and Elias and all these guys. Seth Rollins is coming into his own in a major, major way in the last month. Seth Rollins has become somebody to contend with. I mean, when you're talking about a potential triple threat at WrestleMania between The Miz, Finn Balor, and Seth Rollins, nobody loses that match. There is no loser in that match because those three are the future. And if getting Brock Lesnar back to the UFC means that there's more opportunity for any one of those three, it's upside for WWE, in my opinion. In my opinion, I, I at first, you know, last time the contract was up, I said, I hope we don't lose Brock Lesnar. And when I say we, I don't mean I work for WWE. I say we the same way a Yankees fan says we about the team, meaning I just have loyalty to WWE over UFC. So not that I don't like UFC, I watch UFC, but my loyalty, hundred, I, I love WWE. I, I breathe WWE. You guys know that by now. So I don't think it would be a bad thing. I don't think it would be a bad thing. Um, Sean says he was hoping for Brock Lesnar versus Lashley, but other than that, bye-bye, Brock. Yeah, man, and guess what? If Lashley does come back and Brock isn't around, doesn't hurt me at all. I think Lashley can go on a run similar to what Batista did. I'm very interested in seeing Lashley versus The Miz. I'm very interested in seeing Lashley versus Finn Balor. I'd love to see Elias and Lashley. I'd love to see AJ Styles versus Lashley. You know, there's all these, there's plenty of matches. Nakamura. You know, look, the SmackDown roster, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Dolph Ziggler, and you got a whole roster on SmackDown of guys that are worthy of all this. You got Bobby Roode. I mean, when you can get a six-pack challenge going for the WWE Championship and then a triple threat for the Intercontinental Championship and all nine guys are major dudes, SmackDown's not hurting for talent. 
That's for sure. So I think if Brock Lesnar is going back to UFC, now would be the time. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, let's move on to story number two. Number two story this week, which nice segue out of Brock Lesnar into Roman Reigns. So apparently Brock Lesnar didn't show up on Raw this week. Now, uh, some places are reporting that this was a legit no-show. Nobody knew where Brock was. Um, it's hard for me to believe that if Brock Lesnar no-showed, anybody's going to sit that taking down. I think as fans, we can all kind of be aware that the promo that Roman Reigns did was approved, but I don't like even having that conversation because I don't think it matters. Whether it was planned or unplanned, it's now part of the story that leads us into Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. And I've seen... Roman Reigns promo on Raw, it, you could listen, if you go back and watch that promo and listen to the audience reaction, it was confusion because we want to boo Roman Reigns, but we love Roman Reigns at this moment. We want to boo him because he's not our guy, but he's speaking our language. We don't like Roman Reigns because he's being shoved down our throats. But it's like, it's like if somebody is shoving food down your throat, which you don't want, but it's chocolate chip ice cream. So you go, oh, stop shoving this down. Well, I don't stop necessarily. This isn't what I asked for, but it's amazing. So maybe I should take advantage of it. Roman Reigns felt truthful on Raw. He felt truthful and his points could not be invalidated. And let's be honest, like go back and listen to the, I think it was the last time Roman Reigns was on this podcast. At this point, it must've been a couple years ago, at least a year ago. Uh, because I talked to Roman Reigns about the match that he had with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania a couple years ago, the one that Seth Rollins interrupted. And if you watch the beginning of that match, Roman and Brock are beating the crap out of each other for real. Roman Reigns as a man is not, Joe Anawaii or whatever his name is, is not afraid to go hand-to-hand with Brock Lesnar, IRL. Like, it's really, it, it, it's really quite amazing, especially when you think about that. You watch the knee that Braun Strowman took from Brock at Survivor Series. I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid of Brock Lesnar. You can see it in the video I shot with him. The What's the Haps video where he cursed at me severely. I'm very, very afraid. He's a scary guy. But I have high expectations for this match and the build of this match. The build to this match reminds me of the first set of promos between John Cena and Roman Reigns. It reminds me of the build of the John Cena rock match. It reminds me of some of the stuff CM Punk used to do. Like, it feels it feels real. The promo that Roman Reigns did on Raw this week is the type of promo that I go into work and I want to play for my buddies that haven't watched WWE since the Attitude Era to say, hey, look at what's going on. And Antonio on Facebook says, it is a dud this year. I guess WrestleMania. Miguel says, tell me why I should watch WrestleMania seems like a dud this year. It is a dud this year. Listen, I don't know how you could possibly say that. What do we have on tap for WrestleMania this year? You got Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Maybe it's not the match that you wanted, but it's definitely going to be a spectacle. Not the match that I wanted. That's not the championship match that I want. That's not the main event that I want. But it's going to be a spectacle. And if you step out of your prejudice... And pay attention to the promo, just the promo that happened last week on Raw. This week, I should say, with Roman Reigns. The seeds that were planted in Roman Reigns' promo on Raw are the seeds towards a match 
that I care about, a story that I care about. And I think most people do. You've got that. You've got the, the match. They said, okay, we're not going to give you the main event that you want, but we'll give you the WWE Championship match that you want. On the other end, you've, in all likelihood, have AJ Styles versus Nakamura. You can't complain about AJ Styles versus Nakamura. If you are GTFO, you know what I mean? You've now got a WrestleMania where usually they're not programming this for hardcore wrestling fans at all. They're sprinkling a little bit in there for us. AJ Styles versus Nakamura is for us. Unless they change it, which would be disappointing. You've got Asuka in a title match. You've got Charlotte in a title match. Maybe the same title match. You've got uh, the Ronda Rousey match. which is uh, it, It's going to be fun. I'll talk about Ronda Rousey in a minute. But I, I don't see how you could say already that WrestleMania is going to be a dud. We've only really got two matches confirmed. And at worst, it's 50-50, right? At worst, you're mad about one match and not the other. But to say WrestleMania is a dud is just to be one of these, let's criticize WWE type people. Because we don't know what the rest of the card is. You know, like, let's wait. How can you say that WrestleMania is a dud when matches haven't even been announced yet? You know, it's ridiculous. Makes no sense. Um, But I thought, I I just thought that Roman Reigns' promo on Raw was uh, brilliant. Just exactly what Roman Reigns needed to do. And I mean, I'm anxious to see how Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar respond. You know, that argument that Roman Reigns had in that ring, I don't know, that's going to allow Roman Reigns to go toe-to-toe with a guy like Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, who, when he's got logic on his side, can talk circles around anybody. Roman Reigns is better in the ring than he is on the microphone. But that kernel of logic that is going into Roman Reigns' promos, if he sticks to that, you know, how are you going to go wrong? How are you going to go wrong? Is it a similar story to John Cena and The Rock? It's similar. But especially if Brock Lesnar really did no show on Raw, I think it's great. I think it's really, really good. Um, Let's go to story number one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sam, people complaining about this year's WrestleMania card absolutely proves that you cannot make wrestling fans happy. They will always complain. They are literally giving us a, a great card minus one or two matches that some people... Yeah, like, like, let's be honest. And Antonio Gomez says Ray versus John Cena. We already talked about that, and that's not even remotely confirmed. Um, there have been WrestleManias where literally you go in with zero expectations. Quite honestly, WrestleMania 31, which was... In uh, uh, right around Cupertino, there Silicon Valley WrestleMania, um, that that was when it was Bray versus Undertaker. That was Roman versus Brock. I mean, people went into that WrestleMania with zero expectations, zero. One year removed from WrestleMania 30, one of the best WrestleManias of all time. You had Daniel Bryan in a multi-person ladder match. You had nothing going on. What you leave with is one of Daniel Bryan's best matches, one of the best moments in the history of WrestleMania, which is Seth Rollins interrupting the title match with his Money in the Bank briefcase and winning the championship. Like, expectations for WrestleMania 31 were probably as low as I remember them being, and it was had some of the better moments in any WrestleMania. I mean, that, that end moment with Seth Rollins winning made Seth Rollins forever. So, I, I, I again, it's just unfair, the, the criticism right now. Um... Let's go to, by the way, James Wintel says, how many people could be in a match before it becomes a battle royal? Is six the upper limit? No, you have 100 people in a match. 
If it's not, if it's pin, I mean, it'd be difficult. If it's pinfall or submissions, it's not a battle royal. If it's over, the, you could have a two-person battle royal. Um, if it's over the top rope, it's a battle royal. Story number one, number one. Oh, Tony James says, I showed my wife the Roman promo on Raw, and she isn't a fan like me, but bought into the match and got excited about the angle without knowing much about it. Roman's best promo yet and worked perfectly. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. Roman would make a non-fan care about that match after that promo. We'll see how it builds over the next six weeks. I'm not saying that it's perfect. We'll see what happens over the next six weeks, but come on. Story number one is Ronda Rousey's first impression left on the WWE Universe. Now, technically, the first impression was at the Royal Rumble when she came out as a surprise. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were a little bit critical of that one because she had that, you know, happy-to-be-here smile on her face the entire time. Um, Some people think that, like I I heard, uh, I know Taz was critical of Ronda Rousey's booking in the sense that uh, he felt that Ronda didn't look strong. Because she let Stephanie McMahon off the hook. Um, you know, some people didn't like Ronda Rousey, but the people who said, like, some people said she wasn't a good actress. And I think that the Ronda Rousey is not a good actress, or people who are like, Ronda Rousey can't cut a promo. <laughs> who knows? She's never cut a promo. She said two things on a microphone. But um, I think that Ronda Rousey is a bad actress more applies to what she was doing before th- this week. Right, I, I I didn't mind Ronda Rousey's I'm mad faces, you know I didn't I didn't mind that. And UFC fighters, if you watch UFC, you're used to seeing Ronda Rousey stare down people without actually attacking them. Think about all the weigh-ins. Think about all the photo shoots. UFC fighters don't fight until the bell rings. UFC fighters do not put hands on each other until the bell rings. She got an apology from Stephanie McMahon, which I think deserves a little bit more credit because. The Stephanie McMahon character doesn't apologize to anybody. Um, so the fact that she made Stephanie McMahon do something she wouldn't have normally done, to me, lended credibility to how tough Ronda Rousey is. And I think that if they're going to do a tag match at WrestleMania where Stephanie McMahon is in one corner and Ronda is in the other corner, they don't necessarily want Ronda to touch Stephanie again until WrestleMania happens because then when the two of them are in the ring, you have that, oh moment where people are excited so I, I think that that that's probably what all that is I don't think that Ronda's perfect by any stretch of the imagination and I think that uh, especially post Wrestlemania it's going to be interesting to see she, how she fits on the roster but I don't have any problems with the way she's been portrayed so far what I do have an issue with is the match itself it would appear again not based on uh, backstage rumblings or contract negotiation talk, but just watching Raw, I think any of us educated fans would sit there and say, uh, by the way, I see John Sim says, Peter Rosenberg versus Sam Roberts at WrestleMania? Not unless it's a hug-off. I think that uh, if what we're being shown is probably true, we're looking at a Kurt Angle, Ronda Rousey versus Triple H and Stephanie McMahon match. And I'm not I'm not thrilled by that choice, to tell you the truth. I'm as big a Kurt Angle fan as you'll find. Uh, you know, you 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 can't you can't even begin to say enough good about Kurt Angle as a performer in his career. But number one, if Kurt Angle is so worried about his job that he's 
acting like he made it up. Why did he get Tourette syndrome at the pay-per-view and just start saying, didn't you say who among us who has any respect or intimidation for their boss would ever walk into a meeting and just throw your boss under the bus for no apparent reason? It made no sense that that happened. There is no explanation as to why Kurt Angle acted the way he acted at the pay-per-view, especially if the next night he's just going to apologize and say that he made it up. So then why did you do it in the first place? So that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, And, you know, we've all seen it. Kurt Angle is not the same Kurt Angle that he used to be. Kurt Angle is not telling stories on the mic the way he used to tell them. And I don't think that after seeing the two matches Kurt Angle participated in at Survivor Series and at the October pay-per-view before that, I don't think there's that much of a clamoring to see Kurt Angle in the ring again. You know, I, I, I think that everybody was happy that Kurt Angle was back in the WWE family and everybody loves Kurt Angle, but I think we've seen from him what we wanted to see from him. I would much prefer to see Ronda Rousey team with Seth Rollins or Braun Strowman. We've had no, no payoff on the Survivor Series ending. You know, I mean, Survivor Series ended in a really awkward way, left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, and it was presumably because you wanted a payoff. And there's been nothing between Braun Strowman and Triple H. Why not have Ronda Rousey and Braun Strowman versus Triple H and Stephanie McMahon? Unless you believe the rumors, there's rumors floating around that they're worried that Brock Lesnar now isn't going to show up to WrestleMania and that Braun Strowman would get the match with Roman Reigns for the... uh, uh, vacated Universal Championship, which I don't believe for a heartbeat. Like, I, I, the, the reign of legal shit that would fall down on the head of Brock Lesnar if after a year of buildup he no-showed WrestleMania, I can't imagine that happening. So I don't necessarily buy into that. But why not put Braun Strowman in that match? If you want him to look strong, have Braun Strowman, you know, spend the next five weeks or so establishing that Braun Strowman has a problem with authority, remind us of what happened at Survivor Series, and then allow Braun Strowman to get the, or allow Triple H to get these hands. Like Braun Strowman finally has his revenge on Triple H. And it's legal because it's part of a match. And then Ronda Rousey comes in and, you know, tears Stephanie's arm out of her shoulder or something. Everybody gets what they want. People love Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman in that match would save the match. I think that, Kurt Angle just doesn't have the power that he did when he first signed on WWE a year ago when people were clamoring for that Kurt Angle match. I mean, we see him. He doesn't really move his neck that well. He kind of, you know, the meme has been everywhere of him looking like off into the clouds somewhere right before Triple H was going to punch him in the face. So I think that that spot should be, should be given to Braun Strowman or Seth Rollins or even, I mean, any of these guys, any of these big guys, you can turn it, give it to Elias. I don't care. But Kurt Angle just doesn't do it for me. Um, let's see. Uh, that, 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 I think I think those are my stories this week. I think there you have the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, top five stories of the week. This has been the state of wrestling. Um, everybody do me a favor. Go over to NotSam.com. It's where you go. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast at NotSam.com. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can watch uh, the Sam Roberts Now YouTube show. You can also get the brand new NotSam hoodies. NotSam hoodies are available now for the first time over at NotSam.com. Grab one. 
Check it out for yourself. And don't forget to subscribe to Stitcher Premium. Stitcher Premium will allow you to get this podcast each and every week completely ad-free. And it will allow you to get the exclusive show, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast Captive Audience, where myself and somebody who's close to me that is not the biggest wrestling fan, watch along one of the most ridiculous pay-per-views. There's Show number one is already up there. It's uh, myself and my wife. I'm explaining Uncensored 95 to poor Jess. She doesn't understand it at all. It's, it's, it's an insane pay-per-view. And you can listen to the show as you watch it on the WWE Network. It's a really fun concept. And the only place you're going to find it is on Stitcher Premium, which you can sign up for at stitcher.com slash notsam. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast once again this week. And we will see you next week. Same Sam time, same Sam channel. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.